Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to End the Fed, following the money to find the truth behind our broken financial system and our broken world. I'm your host, DJ Podgorny, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Ivan Hidalgo. Ivan, how you doing, bro? Pretty good, man. Definitely not a legend yet. Way too young to be called a legend. <laughs> not even close. On his way to becoming a legend. So you heard it here first. We're, we're calling our own shots. That's what we do on this podcast now, apparently. Yes, we're, we're puffing each other up. Thank you for the flattery. I'm already tomatoed. Marty, nice and red. Perfect. Let's get into episode uno. Forgetting the intro. We're diving into the reason why and yeah, and, and the history of the Fed. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a good episode. Uh, historic episode full of historic points and scary little events that not a lot of people know about. Uh, yeah, just this past week, I've been like bringing it up to people. Uh, and just nobody knows that the Fed is a privately owned business. Uh, like not even people like that I work with and none of my friends do. My parents did it. No one does. And I was like, yeah, this is such a, such a well-kept secret. And it's just been well-kept for like 100 years, more than 100 years now. Right. Yeah. Well, so here we are. We're here to shed the light on it. Today is going to mark the first episode of our multi-part series on the history of the Fed uh, and how we've gotten to where we're at today. Um, but as I mentioned on the last episode, the way we, sh- we, the way we do the show is in three parts. First, we tell you what the hell we've been doing with our money and how we're doing. Are we up? Are we down? Uh, then the second part, we, we are going to share a couple of headlines that we both think uh, you guys should know and that are interesting to us as investors and concerned uh, folks with their money. Uh, and then the third part is going to be a part, uh, us teaching a little bit of a, of a lesson or, or some part of history. And, and today we're going to dive in um, basically from the origin of what the hell is money? How did we start using money as a service uh, to, to make you know, society a more efficient marketplace uh, up to the inception of, of the Federal Reserve? So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, but with that, let's just dive into it, man. So let's talk, let's talk some skin in the game. Let's open the kimono. Um, opening the kimono all right man how are you doing how am i doing pretty well uh one thing that i was doing uh earlier i think yesterday and it's what i do at the beginning of every month i just check okay what's been uh what part of my portfolio has been performing the best and there's a like a classic portfolio called the golden butterfly and that is when you have just like the S&P 500, classic ETFs, plus a little bit of gold. Uh, I think it's like 10% exposure, Ray Dalio style. Um, that classic portfolio is doing fantastic. I don't follow that. I'm super heavy on like very innovative companies like Square, Lemonade, Tesla, uh, Illumina. And I'm super, super heavy gold. So it's like both sets of the uh, conservative to like radical scale. Like I have both covered everything else in between. It doesn't really. Yeah. It's also, it's also like, that's the barbell model that Nassim Taleb talks about in anti-fragile, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, you take a small portion of your, uh, whatever you're doing in life and you, you allocate it heavily to one side uh, that's highly volatile on the other side. Uh, you allocate a lot that is um, extremely lowly, uh, has a low level of volatility, like something like gold, for example, uh, which protects you from, you know, risking ruin, so to speak, but also gives you that opportunity to put your money to work and gain from the upside of the volatility. Well, right? Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. But it's, it's usually been like gold is just a hedge, keeps its value. It's good. Like, you know, in the long term, it's going to be just a okay, uh, more a okay than 
Warren Buffett classic, put in your, put your money in the market. You'll be fine. It's worked for the past hundred years. We're starting to see some little cracks in that uh, philosophy. I'm not saying Warren Buffett's bad. Obviously he's a better investment than all of and everyone listening and me and DJ combined. Uh, but that whole bet on America, things will be fine. Um, yeah, maybe things are starting to unravel a little differently because Buffett has been, uh, for the past two years, not been in the market, interestingly enough. But uh, what am I buying? Oh, the one thing I was going to say before I dive into that, my gold side of the portfolio, usually the safe side, like you said, has performed a lot better than the crazy tech stocks that usually are the ones that are usually bringing in like the cheddar or totally like creaming me so uh it's, it's, that's pretty interesting what what by the way if, real quick i would just be curious to hear your thoughts on this like what do you think is driving this insane rally that gold's seeing i mean now it's obviously crossed two thousand dollars which is is that that's Woo! an all-time high right oh way past all-time high all-time high was 1926 i think in 2011 and then it dropped like a rock as people uh started they're like, oh my God, the Fed's starting to print money, quantitative easing. I didn't know they could. Okay, awesome. Let's dive back into the market. There's that belief. What's interesting now is that we're so used to, it's been 10 years, almost 10 years of quantitative easing. And people are like, okay, well, this system, it's been a change of sentiment. This, this system now has to change. Uh, people are starting to notice like, okay, there's like you're seeing in Bloomberg, uh, and even like Goldman Sachs came out with a, with a headline article that said uh, where there might be uh, negative like implications on the dollar because of this. Um, like the, we didn't hear about that at all before. Uh, there weren't any big names talking about that, which is, which is pretty interesting. But um, the reason why gold is, is exploding even more now, and I think it's going to continue because unless the Fed comes out with some magic new tool, there's nothing really like people are very afraid and also there's just so much liquidity and which means inflation and usually inflation when that happens asset prices rise and and plus fear that means gold like skyrockets um so so yeah that's the i think that's the main reason why so yeah you think like on um because i'm not sure if they have this on like if gold has a similar measurement but uh in the bitcoin world there's this greed to fear uh rating and i don't know how they compute it but like right now um last i had checked the the bitcoin fear to greed rating was like 75 percent in favor of greed um so do you think that this is coming out of uh this drive towards gold is coming out of fear towards Definitely fear. First of all, I don't know how they would measure that. That's such a weird. That sounds cool. I gotta, I gotta look that up. I'll put. The, I'll look up that up uh, for future episodes and explain. <laughs> yeah, like how are, are they just asking random people, or like how are they taking polls, or like they have a massive email list? I have no idea. But yeah, definitely, that's a good question. Fear is driving this. People are so uncertain, and I don't blame them. It's 2020. Uh, the people are so so uncertain on uh, the economy on the fundamentals, especially with the, the age of the internet now. We didn't see that as much in 2011. We're now starting to see like a lot of people starting to understand, okay, the fundamentals of the system really don't work. What is the truest form of money? Uh, what has always worked? What is older than the States? What is older than any other nation? And it's been gold, right? So people flock back to that. Uh, 
but really we're still not seeing institutional investors rushing into this, which is amazing. Uh, which means there's a lot, there's no more um, mountain of worry or wall of worry, as they say, to climb um, because it's now it's just all buyers. So I, I still, I see clear blue skies for gold in the long term and even in the medium term, short term, I think it's been uh, not acting like gold lately and we're, uh, we're set for a pullback. But gotcha. okay. so, let's dive into to what I've yes. been uh, selling and buying. Absolutely. Well, actually, real quick, before you do that, I do want, I look, I've got the, the Bitcoin fear and greed index pulled up okay. here. And um, it looks like they measure, it's, it's, I mean, it's basically just another made up metric. But yeah. uh, the, the inputs, which I think are pretty interesting, is they measure, uh, it's 25% of the input is based on the volatility of the market. Another 25% is based on momentum and volume. So just how much oh. is being pushed through okay. uh, the markets. They do a sentiment analysis on uh, Twitter and Reddit, which makes up 15% of the metric. They do surveys as well, which makes up 15%. Um, they also uh, use Google Trends for about 10% of the data and then dominance, Bitcoin dominance, meaning the amount of Bitcoin compared to uh, the greater crypto market and altcoins and things like that. Um, that also gets measured in there. So anyways, just for those who are curious about the greed to fear index, those are the inputs and what's going on. And right now, Bitcoin is at a 75 on the ranking, which were 100 would represent like extreme greed. Zero would represent extreme fear. Uh, so it's 75 right now. But anyways, let's talk about your portfolio and what you're doing, man. Yeah. So, uh, well, two weeks ago, I sold some uh, gold mining companies. Two, it was uh, a little too early, but I'm, I kept my... Uh, my best players, uh, which as you know, is a B2 Gold Corp. They do quote unquote ethical mining. I haven't gone to the mine, uh, so I don't know, but that's like what they're famous for. Um, and also a Cisco mining is another one. And uh, my personal favorite, uh, like that's not ethical mining based, <laughs> which sounds pretty terrible, but you do have to bring it up, uh, is Kirkland, uh, which is a big, big um, like they own multiple mines all around the world. So yeah, I kept those guys, I sold a bunch of others um, only because I felt like gold was getting a little too toppy. Uh, and I still do believe that, but for the long term, I like the positions that I have in B2 Gold Corp and Osisco and uh, Kirkland. So I'm not selling those, even if it does dip, I'm just going to buy more in. Um, and then what else did I sell? That's, that's about it. Uh, in terms of buying, I am staying away from gold miners right now. I have a pretty strong position, I would say, in there. Oh, and also what I, what I made when I sold was about, have it right here, 38% on that, which I think is uh, pretty good for a couple of months. Yeah, um, but it was, uh, it was easy to, to make money, I think, in these past couple of months because just everything, you throw a dart at the board, you'll make money. Uh, with all the liquidity sloshing around and all these new traders in there as well. Um, and liquidity, I mean by fake money by, by the Fed. But uh, yeah, and then in terms of buying, uh, I bought, I've been continuing to add just dollar cost average into Square. I always have for the past three months, I've been buying into Square. Uh, it's, it's proven my three criteria of any innovative company, uh, which is my three criteria is one, it can scale. Uh, two is an innovation stack and three, the management is just like second to none. It's perfect. Um, 
Well, and can you, because uh, I'm reading the book Innovation Stack right now, which is written by James McKelvey of Square Fame. Can you describe to people real quick, just like uh, in a couple sentences, what is an innovation stack? An innovation stack, to keep it very general and simple, is uh, either a stack of management principles, technologies, uh, uh, or even software that you own as a company that's so ingrained with the people um, in your company that it is almost impossible to replicate. Uh, so, yeah, like in the innovation stack, the the book that uh, that you're reading, DJ, fantastic book. Um, Amazon tried to copy uh, Square's idea uh, with they came up with a little black square. Um, and they couldn't succeed only because of the innovation stack. It is a lot to get into. Um, definitely, definitely. It's one of my favorite books because, uh, even just saying a general principle about innovation stack, like it's hard to understand, but the book explains it just so, so well. Um, and the third criteria is, uh, the management is, is perfect. So, uh, uh, yeah. And then because of that, another company is coming up on my radar, um, with their IPO, uh, Lemonade. And that's an insurance company. And they've proven all three as well that they can scale. Uh, they have amazing management. And that, uh, yeah, they're obviously an innovative company. And so I'm loading up on that. I'm loading up. I bought more this past week because they have earnings coming out. And I believe almost everything is going to pop with earnings. But either way, even if they don't, I'll buy more because that's a long-term company hold for me. And then something that I'm uh, looking to continue to buy dollar cost average in surprisingly isn't gold. I feel like it could continue to uh, like ascend, but silver, I feel like now is the most undervalued asset from both of them. And they all, and it was for all, even it was before um, the gold and silver ratio was so out of whack. It was historically like, it's never been more out of whack, meaning that the gold silver ratio is for anyone who doesn't know, it's uh, how many ounces of silver can you buy with an ounce of gold? So for at a time, it was like a hundred, I think it reached like 150 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold, which is just insane. I think this, normally it's like 20 to one. Uh, I might be wrong there. It might be 20 or 30 to one. Now I think it's around 80 uh, to one. So it's still super undervalued relative to gold. And as gold continues to climb up historically, every single time silver takes its time, it usually lags about six months to a year behind gold as gold peaks and peaks and peaks uh, in, in the, the cyclical bull market that gold falls into. Uh, but when silver like pops, that thing like does a rocket ship uh, so much more. Uh, I think gold um, went up, I think, 54% in one year in, in, in 2011. And then silver did like 300 or something insane like that. It was just like crazy. But at the same time, it's a rocket ship and then comes flying back down and it gets beat down uh, even harder than gold does. So it is very, very volatile. Uh, I'm loading up on silver at the moment. I still think it's undervalued. And I'm also loading up on a, a stock called First, uh, First Majestic uh, Silver. So... So, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that's one thing I want to talk to you about because I mentioned we, we've texted about this, but I didn't get your full elaboration on it is that when you start buying precious metals like gold and silver um, and you're looking to you know make a profit on them, you need someone to 
provide liquidity in the market. So like, how do you actually go about selling these one ounce bars of gold and silver? Although it doesn't seem like you sell too much gold ever, but it sounds like you're going to be liquidating some of the silver. How would someone do that in a, an efficient manner if they were to follow you? Yeah. So I definitely, definitely number, number one would be to go into the local like stores or shops in your city and just talk and, and be, just be a little humble and, and uh, talk to the, the store owner. He obviously knows more than, than I do, knows probably more than you do. And, uh, and he can teach, he or she can teach you a ton and build rapport with that person. Um, and you can buy from him or her or you could sell to him or her. Uh, there's that. Or if you're just in some uh, random city with no store owner, um, there are, well, my f- personal favorite as a Canadian is a uh, silver gold bull. We have no affiliate, but I, I've bought not it. I've, not yet. I've bought in a lot from them and uh, uh, they have a sell program as well. Um, the problem is that their premiums are a little bit higher than what I would get from like a guy in my town. So um, premiums are just like the, the little percentage that the company puts on selling the silver because they obviously have to make a profit to their business. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I'm going to go around doing it. And I, I do suspect I'm going to sell silver in the next year to two years, depending how large this bull market of precious metals is. Um, gold, I'm never selling. Gold, I'm keeping, giving it off to my children. Like even if it, it's going to come back down, it's cyclical, like it'll always go back up and always go back. But at the end of the day, silver is where the money is going to be made. Gold is just to keep, uh, keep some wealth stored away. I see. Makes sense, man. So yeah, I'm curious. So you, during this pay, uh, the current phase you're in, you're not accumulating dollar cost averaging into any crypto at all right now. That's completely out of scope for you. Uh, I did. I did already in the terrible undervalued uh, bear market after 2017 that crypto fell into. Uh, I bought a lot of Ethereum and I bought a lot of other altcoins um, like Chainlink, Engine. Um, uh, let me see. There's, there's a bunch of other ones as well. Um, but Chainlink's still popping off, man. Chainlink's almost up to 10 bucks now, which is crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And so I sold out of all of those, the only one that I've kept, I did trim position with Ethereum again, a little too early before this pop off, but I just, again, I'm just keeping, um, my only position in crypto is enough to stake. So 32 ether, um, just, a position that's just been sitting there. And I think I dollar cost, I, I bought in uh, like at 200 to 250. Um, so that's just going to sit there for who knows how long I don't, again, there's a with investing. Like if you don't need the cash or if you don't see an opportunity or, or like you don't lose your job or anything, there's no need to sell. If you, unless your fundamental thesis actually changes, like let's say like square um, their management company pulls out, or, or there's a more likely with Square um, legislation passes that like um, the banks just have an even stronger monopoly on uh, things, then, okay, the fundamental thesis is now like corrupted. You need to now sell. It, I don't even look at the price. It's depending on like the actual fundamentals because that's what gives you the conviction to hold for, for many, many years, which I had to with, uh, with Silver and Ethereum. Um, they were both getting beat down and beat down and beat down. Um, but I'm like, no, these are two extremely undervalued assets. And I believe in the future, 
they'll pop off. And I still believe that to this day. So that's, those are my thoughts on that. Gotcha. Interesting. But see, if you do believe that, um, but you're not adding more Ethereum, even though you, ha- you are very bullish on Ethereum long-term, but you're just, you're content with where your position is right now. Yeah. I'm content with the, the position I'm in right now. Um, I'm also, uh, my portfolio, I would say I'm around all together is 35% cash. Um, the rest is split into gold, gold mining stocks, those tech companies. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I think right now with uncertainty, uh, there's going to be buying opportunities for uh, these, uh, these assets that we're starting to see uh, get val- the value that they deserve, like gold, like silver. Um, those interest me a lot more than crypto right now, just because um, I feel like institutional players with fear are going to run to historically safe places to store money instead of new speculative places to store money. Um, And those institutional players have just been sitting in cash and they're going to start being squeezed because they're starting to see that the dollar has been dropping like a knife. And they're like, okay, I don't know if I want to stay in cash. I feel the same way. I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep all that cash just sitting around just dying, literally dying. Um, uh, why not just like buy a gold bar and like if it drops and whatever. But that's, that's my thought. I want some uh, dry powder, even though it's like slowly turning into dust, um, just in case my small thesis for the short term is true. And we see a little bit of deflation with the upcoming election and with fears uh, in the stock market. And as we saw, when there is a real fear, uh, uh, bear crash, then uh, both, all asset classes get hit. Uh, uh, like, so I'm, I'm super long-term bullish for, for gold. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a little dip there. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, dude, yeah, thanks for sharing all that insight and uh, opening us up to your portfolio um, a little bit. Uh, I guess from my standpoint, my big thing is I'm very bullish on crypto and um, I, from an asset stand, like from an asset allocation standpoint, I'm at about 40% of my portfolio is in crypto with a majority. Damn, man. Really? Yeah. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Um, what's, what's in your portfolio? Mostly Bitcoin, mostly Bitcoin um, with a, a good chunk of Ethereum as well. And then a handful of altcoins as well. Um, what are the altcoins? So, well, actually, it's funny. Like, would you consider Bitcoin Cash also an altcoin? Uh, yeah, I would. Okay. So, yeah, I've, I've been doing some research on on like the scaling problem of Bitcoin, and like, have thrown a little bit of money at uh, some of the solutions there, like Bitcoin Cash, and um, I also have been looking at Ripple. I have a small position in Ripple, a uh, small position in uh, in Chainlink, um, and then a, a decent position in ethereum as well like i'm really really bullish on ethereum and ethereum's gone crazy i mean it's up almost a hundred dollars uh in the last like two weeks which is insane insane. yeah um so yeah i'm bullish on crypto i do also think that there's you know i think there's going to be some liquidity event between now and the election something's going to go awry and i think that the the money's going to run out of the market uh because i we're we're seeing quite a pump right now in the crypto world um especially over the last two weeks, you know, as Bitcoin finally broke out of that $9,000 mark and is now trading at like 11,500. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's tough to say though. Um, it's really tough to say, obviously like that's why. We're Have you bought anything in the past, in the past week? Yeah. So I, I'm dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin and Ethereum um, 
on a daily basis, a little bit every day um, there. Uh, and then, yeah, I've uh, bought a little bit of, of Ripple this week um, just uh, for really no good reason other than like I like it and I think there's um, I wanted to have a little bit of skin in the game there. Uh, the remaining 20% of my portfolio uh, was there's 60% that's unallocated that I haven't mentioned. 20% is in stocks, which I'm a big fan of Square. Uh, you turn me on to Lemonade and, and BT Gold Corp as well. And so um, I've invested in there uh, and have actually bought some more today and, and buying a little bit of Square and Lemonade um, you know, on a weekly basis there. Uh, and then the remaining 40% of my money is in cash because I'm, I'm in the same school of thought as you where I see that there's going to be something. I don't know what it is, but I have a gut feeling that we're going to see some good prices in the next six months. Uh, and I want to be ready for that. So I have a question with the assets that you're allocating money to now. Um, when the, this crash that we're both, thinking, it's not crash. I think there's going to be a dip in the market. Um, or do you think it's going to be a, like a double dip W type crash? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, I would say it's just going to be a dip. Okay. So if there's going to be a dip, are you going to like, sell anything like when it does dip or are you going to buy more into the assets that you're already bullish on or what, what are you thinking there yeah i'll probably clear out my altcoins and consolidate most of my altcoins into ethereum or bitcoin um mm-hmm. and i'll probably hold all of the stocks that i have for the most part and then start buying into more of the stocks that i like buy into gold as well um i've been kind of waiting to buy into gold based on your uh your wisdom you think that there's going to be good buying opportunities in the short term. Um, so I'd like to spend some of that cash on gold. Uh, and I'd also like Same. to spend s- some of that cash on, um, on buying some more crypto as well. Cool. So that's where I'm at. Let's close up the kimono then. Let's do it then. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk some headlines, bro. So, um, well, so I, hold on. We're supposed to make a predictions. Do you, wanna, do you still want to roll and make some predictions or what do you think? Roll to make some predictions. Well, I predict that... Gold is going to bounce around 2,000 to 2,100 for the next month. I think 2,000 is going to act as a strong uh, support for the next month until we see uh, a dip in all all asset classes because people are scared. And they're going to sell, again, a lot. And that includes gold and especially silver, but mainly stocks. Um, And a lot of crypto as well as we saw um but yeah i i when when that happens probably september as the stock market and the market in general is just a future teller um so it's not going to happen the day that the president goes live you know what i mean like as as more information comes out um that that i think will affect the market um so yeah for the next month I think uh, we're going to see gold bounce from 2000 to 2100. Sweet. So gold's just chilling for the time being. Uh, my, my prediction is in the world of crypto. I think that between now and the election, I think you're going to see the, the nice little bull run Bitcoin has had over the last two weeks. I think that's going to get erased. I, think, I, I don't think we've seen the height yet. I think it's going to continue to climb for uh, potentially Where's a month. Where's the happening the- run, man? What well, happened this is there? It. This is it, dude. This I mean, is it? So far, so good. I mean, it's up again today, dude. It's up like five percent. Bitcoin's up five okay. percent today. So uh, I was expecting ha- like a 2017 meteor explosion. Well, I mean, even, 
even that took, I mean, the whole year to get up to where it was, you know, I mean, this thing, it doesn't just, unfortunately it doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. Um, that's true. But no, I mean, I very well, I could see, you know, I could see Bitcoin getting up to 20 K again before the end of the year. It's just a matter of, is it going to stay there or is it going to come back down? And I think it's going to come back down. Um, and I think it's going to drop below nine grand between now and, uh, the election in November. Um, and I think that's going to be the last good buying opportunity for Bitcoin for, um, for a while. Uh, so I think that's when the, the full bull run is going to take, take, be taken into effect and, um, good things are going to happen but that's my prediction i think bitcoin will drop below nine grand between now and the election cool solid cool. prediction all right likewise so let's jump into some headlines bro what uh what's your big gold headline? at 2000 man are you kidding me this has never happened before in history uh all-time high was 2011 uh i should really know the date and time eh? i'm such a gold bug but yeah, it's like, like tattooed on your forearm or something, bro. <laughs> yeah. Just like right here, like 6ix9ine has on his face. Yeah, yeah. Or Post Malone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I literally, last night, I watched a great movie with Matthew McConaughey. It's called Gold. Showed my cousin. It's fantastic. Have you seen it? I've never even heard of this movie. What is it? So it's uh, based off a true story uh, from Washoe Mining Corp. I don't know if they use, I think they do use the actual same name um, as the mine. But I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, but he's a newer movie or is it no it's older he essentially becomes the the one of the most successful gold miners uh in history on paper and i'll leave it at that it's uh it's fantastic it definitely watch it tonight it's on netflix but uh yeah man gold at 2000 uh historic this is amazing this is the bull run and we're just at the beginning i really do believe this is just the beginning um un- unless like i said earlier in the podcast I think just right into the intro because I was so pumped about $2,000 gold. Uh, Unless we have some new magic pill that the Fed is going to make us swallow, there is no way I see gold going down. Um, This has nothing to do with, uh, this was sparked by the coronavirus, right? People really like diving into gold because they're scared. Um, but that has opened up a lot of holes into the whole economic system. And now people are starting to starting to understand or try to understand how this whole thing is run. And they're starting to see, okay, this is a Ponzi scheme. What is true money? And they always go back to the oldest uh, uh, asset available, uh, which is gold. So like what happened in 2011, the Fed's like, all right, we're coming out. And people immediately, okay, put confidence back in the market. And sorry, gold, you're going to go on a 10-year bear market, like destruction run. Um, and but as you can see, gold, uh, if you just go back to like past 50 years of gold on the chart, uh, it's a, they're long, long cycles, which is amazing. Uh, and they're 10-year cycles, actually. So we're just the beginning. I would say 2018, when that whole thing happened in uh, October, um, with like China trade relations and all that, um, that was the start of, of the gold uh, bull market. And now things are just ramping up. And in my opinion, uh, we're just getting started. But things don't always, things never go up in a straight line unless they're Tesla. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to see a pullback, but we're going to, it's blue skies. No more sellers. It's just buyers from here on in. Good stuff, man. Well, I know that's got to make, put a huge smile on your face. Yes. Well, not really, man. It's honestly kind of sad uh, because what gold is actually showing is uh, 
the weakness in in this beautiful like country uh and it's it kind of sucks really it's it's nice to say that like my portfolio is up but when the when gold is strong that means the dollar is weakening which means that the united states is losing its power in the world which uh i do like like i'm not a fan of the fed but and i'm not a fan of a lot of the things that the government does um uh, and we'll dive into the history after this but um i don't know i, I couldn't see a world where uh, the yuan uh was the reserve currency and that's where i think we're heading because we have no idea how much gold is in china um there's a investor saying in, in precious markets that they say all golden rivers lead to china because gold goes into china and just doesn't get accounted for like on the world scale by the imf or anyone it just disappears but it stays in china there's no sellers in china of gold so uh I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, it sucks to see that gold is going so high because that means that the, the, the quote-unquote empire of the United States, which I love so many things about it, uh, is, is dying. Right, yeah. It's a bitter pill to swallow, I suppose. Yeah. But it, but it is reality. Gold, all-time highs, north of $2,000 an ounce. Uh, my, my headline will be something we can both get really excited about square reports 600 percent increase in quarterly bitcoin revenue so on tuesday square came out and said that the revenue they made from selling bitcoin through the cash app uh, which i'm sure if you've listened to any podcast ever you've heard advertisements for the cash app um and maybe even use it it's an awesome payments app but uh i believe in 2017 square made it possible to start trading Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin on the cash app. And in Q2, uh, the, the revenues that they made from selling Bitcoin totaled almost a billion dollars, $875 million, which is up 6x over the last year. So tons of volume is going on through the, uh, in terms of Bitcoin purchases through the cash app. Uh, and they also, as a result of that, have netted $17 million in profit, which is up 700% year over year, uh, which they get from taking a small percentage of, uh, of the cut from all transactions that are that take place on the Cash App. So just big news for both Square, a company we both love, uh, and Bitcoin, something that we're, at least that I'm a huge fan of, and I think you at least appreciate it for the most part. You're a hodler, right? I'm a, uh, I'm a hodler. I have, I have, in my safe, there's a little bit of Bitcoin and, uh, and that's where I keep my Ethereum. Uh, but I don't know if you want to dive into the, the whole Bitcoin like thesis. I, I think that's a, an episode in itself. I would love to, we oh, should no, totally yeah. do an episode on gold versus Bitcoin. I would oh, yeah, love, to, would love to, talk to about that. Yeah, we could, we should totally do that. Um, it'd probably be a series, but yeah. I'm a, uh, yeah, definitely. I'm a diversified investor. I'm not playing on anyone's team. I just like to make money ethically. There you go. That's the way to do it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, those are headlines. Anything, any other news or you just want to dive in and start talking? No, I was, uh, I was reading a great app. Uh, it's called Seeking Alpha. That's where I get a lot of my news from. You can, do you have it? Uh, no, but I'm familiar with the, I used to Fantastic. be on the newsletter. Fantastic. Yeah. Download the, the app if, and uh, it sends you like notifications and news or any articles that they're writing about um, the, the stocks that you're investing in. 
and uh, just keeps you up to date with things. It's, it's pretty cool. And I was just reading through uh, what they had to say about um, the, the Square earnings. And actually, it was leaked a day earlier. Uh, that's what we saw the run up. I, I didn't know that. I was like, why is there a run- uh, such a there usually is a run up before earnings, but like this is such a, a weird run up before. But uh, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, they don't run. Maybe maybe we shouldn't be so bullish on Square. They clearly don't run a very tight ship over there. <laughs> well, honestly, my biggest uh, my biggest fear with Square are other competitors um, like Apple. Like we saw with Amazon try to take on. Square and they failed because they tried to do the exact same tech and they couldn't uh, innovate as much as Square could. They couldn't copy the innovation stack, but there could be a better solution, um, which could just be like a simple like application on your phone. Um, and Apple actually just started uh, like started something like that, uh, and that 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 keeps me a little bit worried. But other than that, I, I think it's a Again, square, blue skies, it's at all-time highs. It's just rocketing up, right? Um, but that's something that's keeping me on, uh, on alert. Gotcha. Yep. Always got to stay woke. Always got to be looking for <laughs> the, uh, the bearish case for all of your investments as well. Definitely. Um, always looking for both, uh, both perspectives. But let's, talk, let's, let's kick it off. Let's, let's start this multi-part series that we're going to do that tells the history of the Federal Reserve from the inception of money itself through to present day and quantitative easing until infinity. So let's start with money and the idea of what fundamentally is money, because at some point, you know, we went from humanity went from a bartering system where you exchanged services in raw goods like firewood and uh, you know, like meat or whatever. And obviously that's flawed because if I have four logs of wood and i want a goat and you only have berries then like you ain't getting any logs precisely so humans were smart enough to realize that and they created this thing called money to work as this means of exchange so that we can exchange goods and services on a more fair basis so explain ivan what in your words what is money money at a fundamental level yeah so before that to kick off this uh the series, the end the Fed. This is the end the Fed podcast, and this is the end the Fed series. Um, we're, we're, yeah, like you said, diving into the fundamentals of money. I think this is a great place to start. Before like the rest of the episodes, we're going to talk about like the history of like uh, Chinese financial culture and and crypto versus gold, or um, breaking down a little bit more boring topics. And we're going to try to make sexy like IPOs um, or, or ICOs and. And, uh, but I think starting here is so important for everyone to understand because we're going back to the very, very fundamentals of what is value, um, or what is a store of value, AKA what is money and who are the big players behind it that we don't really understand and we don't, uh, ever hear of, or there's no news about, or, um, there's no controversy about it. There's not even communication. There's no back or back and forth. It's just, the way it's always been and you don't question it. Um, it is kind of like the religion of our time right now, I would say. It's just something that's just been there. You don't question it. You don't talk to money about anyone. Um, you, just, you just try to make more of it. Um, that's, that's it because you need it. Uh, so why, why do we have this game? Why, 
why is it that I can barely afford a house right now? Uh, why is it that like stocks just keep going up and up and up when the economies just turn on its head and no one's like working as much as they were before? Um, what, what, what is this thing called gold? Like what, what is Bitcoin? What is fiat currency? Um, and how did it all start? That's what we're going to dive into uh, right now. So fundamentally, what is money um, and who is is control of this system because every system um, or what system is control of the people uh, that are that is controlling the value Um, because as we're going to discover the people who first who built this system and who has built it multiple times over and over um, they've done it multiple times in many different countries Uh, and now it's the, the central bank's um, and there you go. That's the the party line. Uh, the central banks are the the real owners or the system built um, for for money. Um, but not to get too too down into the weeds yet, because we're going to get to the whole central bank. Um, let's start off. What is money? Uh, money is plainly stated just uh, uh, an article of where you can appoint value to. Um, Preferably, it cannot be uh, man-made, as in it can't be just like, it can't be easily recreated. That's the right term. So I can't, bark can't be, uh, um, like any bark can't just turn into like money or like a piece of grass because then we just have infinite amounts, kind of like we're seeing right now. Um, It's got to be hard to to get in some way, shape or form. so there was a bunch, there's been many, many different examples of money throughout time, uh, not just gold. Gold has become, well, that's where the term comes from, the gold standard around the world. Um, and it's increasingly becoming more popular on this uh, side of the world, the West side of the world that we're living in right now. Uh, for the longest time, and we'll get into why, uh, gold was looked at this in this part of the world as the fundamental, uh, was money. Um, right, because gold, gold was always like it's considered almost God's money, right? Back in uh, you know ancient civilizations, right? Not even ancient civilizations, and that's the point I was getting to. Uh, it still is in all of the eastern side of the world. Uh, you talk to any like if you have an Indian friend, an Arabic friend, uh, a Chinese friend, um, an African like friend from any African country, uh, it's it's like almost everyone's parents has like some sort of gold like my girlfriend is from iraq and her parents just have gold like in a safe and like my parents don't and my parents uh are from el salvador from the west side of the world so and uh, i have a lot of friends from the countries i just stated or the continent i just stated i love when people say african like it's just like a whole place where like when it's like one of the biggest (laughs) land regions on earth it's just such a uh miseducated or uneducated thing to say, uh, which I just felt for myself. But uh, yeah, it's it's strange. Um, well, not really, because I have the answer for it. How this, a lot of people on this side of the world don't have gold at all. Um, because for a long time, the power nation of this uh, side of the world uh, didn't allow 
gold. It was illegal to hold it. And we'll dive into that and a lot of other strange things that has happened with the gold standard in this side of the world, because this is where um, the central banks really took off and gained a ton of power. Um, so they needed to do that to erase an entire generation's memory of gold. But before we go into any of that craziness, before we go even into gold, um, what was money before? Right. What was money before you could dig up gold and like have this little nugget and turn it into a cool little coin and stamp uh, a Roman emperor's face on it. Right. Um, there's been a bunch of different examples of gold before, like in the 15th century, the Mayan civilization. It was a, a, a feather, a rare feather to get from a green ketkel bird um, in uh in Native Americans and where I'm living right now in, in Canada, um, again, I love. I gotta stop doing stop doing that when I'm when I'm when I'm uh, talking about a land region and I just hear this so much in people and like I'm like oh I'm I'm coughing them right now. It's like uh, you just say a land region like yeah Native Americans in Canada when Canada is like the second biggest country on earth, <laughs> but um, more specifically around the Huron uh, Bay region, um, Native Americans used a wampum shell. Uh, which is like this weird type of shell, which was hard to get in that area. Um, and historically, which I think is pretty cool, when a, uh, when, a, when a new invading race or civilization comes in, one of the very first things they do um, is try to control their financial system. Um, so with these wampon natives, is why I mentioned Huron Bay, is because these wampon uh, um shells were very, very, uh, they were everywhere on the East coast of Canada. So once these, uh, once, uh, I think it was a French, uh, who discovered the natives living around the Huron Bay, which is by the way, in the center of Canada, like, Oh, they use these wampum shells. They just took a ton, like tons of it. And then brought it to Huron Bay and say, all right, here we are inflating your currency. We want to buy everything from you. And they're like, Oh, okay. And DJ, I'm pretty sure you told me, um, the same story with, uh, was it Dutch settlers in, in Africa with glass or something like that? Yeah. So one of the first stories of this exploitation of currency that, that I had heard was, I believe in the 15th century in Western Africa, uh, the locals there were using these things known as agri beads, which are just essentially glass beads. Uh, and they use that as a form of currency because once again, as we were talking about earlier, a store of value is typically something that is hard to create either for whatever reason. And in this case, the reason these glass beads in Western Africa were, were used in exchange of currency is because their glass making technology was, wasn't very sophisticated at that time in Western Africa. They were, uh, I think it just, you had mentioned on a, another conversation we had gold actually, ironically enough, was uh, very plentiful in Western Africa at that time. Is that right? Yep. No, totally. The richest man on earth is from, uh, like in history was from, uh, Western Africa. Um, which is fascinating. And I'm sure we can tell that story on another yep. episode, but for, for this particular story, um, so the, these Western Africans were using these glass beads as, a, as a, um, a form of exchange and European settlers or, or uh, adventurers, I suppose, found their way down to Western Africa and um, observed the civilization and, and observed that they were using these glass beads as a form of currency. And back in Europe, glass technology glass making technology was much more sophisticated and it was a lot cheaper and a lot easier to produce beads that looked essentially just like these glass beads that were used in Africa. And so 
the the settlers or the adventurers or explorers that's the word i was looking for explorers returned back to europe with this information with some of the beads replicated them uh and essentially created whole boatloads of these glass beads and, and showed back up in africa inflated the currency uh and uh started to run up debts or the, the local africans started to run up debts as a result of uh you know, all the, the beads that were now injected into the market as, at the hands of the Europeans, which led to essentially the collapse of a large portion of their civilization as they ran up debts and eventually had to, some of them forced, were forced to sell themselves into slavery, which was a huge driver of the slave market that uh, went on through, you know, the, the, the next 500 years in Europe and eventually into the Americas and, and things like that. Very interesting story as we're about to dive. Well, then we got things a little bit more standardized uh, into gold. But this, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Why Nations Fail. And it's, it's a fantastic book. And there's an argument in the book. Um, and I'll pose this as a question to you, uh, DJ. Do you know why um, like Native Americans were eradicated in the United States and Canada and sent to essentially camps that they're still living in to this day, um, with the crappiest parts of the land compared to um, Central and South America, where I'm essentially like a mix, like all Spanish people living there now, call them Latin Americans. They're from Spain, but also Native Americans. Why was there a mixing there of culture compared to a complete destruction uh, in North and South America, or in, in North America. Do you know why? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I haven't thought about it. I don't really have any hypotheses, but I feel like you're going to tell me. <laughs> well, it's the, the, the theory is this, it leads back to gold. And I don't know if you've ever, have you ever read the, the diaries of Christopher Columbus? No. Really interesting. When he went to the queen of Spain, he mentioned God 60, I think 16 times he mentioned God. He mentioned gold 133 times. Yeah. So what happened was that big difference. Um, native uh, in South, and we're still seeing it to this day, there is a ton of river gold in Central and South America. And instead of just eradicating the native americans like they did in north america um they used these uh native americans as uh, essentially slaves um to get as much river gold and then silver um, as possible because it was easier to get compared to in the united states and in canada you have to blow up mountains and they had no idea how to get it um it took year it's six centuries until they started like oh, okay like the the Alaskan gold rush and the California gold rush and, and the Nevada gold rush and all these things that, that that's centuries later. Um, meanwhile, Spain got super wealthy. That's why you have the, um, the pirates of the Caribbean and all these big Spanish ships filled with, uh, filled with gold, like coming back. Like that actually did happen um, because there was just so much of it um, readily available compared to like the hard earth, um, of of north america isn't that an interesting uh theory follow the money man follow yeah. the money <laughs> all the money it's just so messed up how an entire 
uh, like geo population can change just because of well what we're talking about right now following the money gotcha so well let's 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 zoom out so we talked a lot about gold we talked about what is money and things like that what were some of the first examples so we talked about the wampon shells we talked about the agri beads we talked yes. obviously about gold but what went um, wrong yeah, like right? what went wrong, right? I mean, obviously there's some downfalls to gold, right? I mean, it's this hunky thing that if I want to give you a lot of it, I have to carry around a bar. Like there's a lot of, and, and, and you know, it's obviously hard to get and stuff like that. So like, what were the downfalls of these hard monies that we're talking about? And how did we eventually transition into the idea of paper money? Well, there is a uh, precious metal called, as I love so much, silver, um, which was used for trade, everyday trade, right? And if it was a big purchase, you want to purchase a home or make a big trade or like, marry someone, um, it was with gold, right? But everyday like commerce was with silver for a lot of the world. Um, and there were, um, but just like in, in every, uh, not to get too uh, like, historical but like in the roman empire like the caesars started like putting in copper into into silver coins and started to def- uh essentially like killing their own dollar like there was that kind of thing back in the day um in terms of fiat currency in terms of paper currency that actually happened um, in the late 15th century in europe um when there was uh, like people would take their gold to blacksmiths and the blacksmiths would give them receipts in, in for uh, for their gold to like just be stored in a vault, right? Uh, eventually, these receipts of gold actually turned into the equivalents of gold where people would be like, oh, you have a gold receipt. I have a, um, a gold receipt as well. This is like the same thing. Or I have a piece of gold. Like, let's just switch me and you. Like, it's the same thing. You can go collect the gold if you want, it's the exact same thing. Um, this is an amazing system because now uh, people can move across Europe and take their business, their culture and knowledge in different parts of Europe with their entire life savings in their back pocket uh, or wherever they wanted to hide it. Instead of, like you said, they wanted to move an entire, like their entire like w- like wealth. Um, it was a lot harder to do with like clunky gold. It was a lot harder to hide as well. So, um, so just to recap, the idea was you could, instead of carrying around a hunk of gold with you, that is, you know, the only way you can really divide it up if you have a gold bar is to take it to a blacksmith or whatever and make a bunch of coins out of it. Yep. Now, instead of doing that, you can now have, you know, maybe let's say 10 pieces, 10 pieces of paper that say each one of these is redeemable for one tenth of a gold bar or something like that. And it's just a lot easier now. To well, one round. It was an ounce. One ounce. Yeah. It was, okay. it was always an ounce, a Troy ounce. That's where it comes from. But, uh, it's, uh, but the Troy ounce was standard. And well, how much is a bar? How much is a bar? How many ounces is a bar of gold? Like one of like that you see in like a James Bond movie or something. Uh, which one? Like the one like in the vaults? Those are like, yeah, like 400 ounces. The okay, one, geez. Yeah. The ones like that the central banks have hidden away in like four knocks that you see, like if you search up YouTube, gold vaults, federal reserve, those ones are like 400 ounces, like, like I think now it's like more than million plus dollars and just in one bar. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. I was just, I was just curious. Yeah. Cause like you always, I don't know, like if you like look at like you think of banking and you think of like gold bars, yeah. like those are 400 ounces. Yeah. Those are, those are the big boys. Those gotcha. are huge. Um, and you can also just get the kilo kilograms. The kilos are pretty cool too. Those are like probably like the size of your hand, a little bit smaller. Yeah. Gotcha. But, um, 
yeah what so that was a great system right like it introduced commerce into different places people felt a lot safer they had a uh, they had a store of their actual value of which is gold right so i guess the, the reason i brought that up was the whole point was that these pieces of paper were actually backed by something they were the idea was if you take this piece of paper and you bring it to the person the specific person they will give you hard the one ounce gold for it the yes. one ounce of gold until what went wrong blacksmiths got smart and they're just like hey we have all this gold here um why don't we just start printing more receipts than the like than the gold we actually have right because it's um, like and everyone wasn't coming to get their gold at all at once people no. just started trading the um the pieces of paper as if they were as good as gold right exactly that's what it turned into as good as gold uh and they had gold art like they artificially inflated the 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 money supply meaning that for like each piece of gold uh they could write up like 10 receipts and the other people wouldn't know the difference um and this is actually like the start of fractional reserve banking where they only had to keep a certain amount of value this is like ancient fract fractional reserve uh, banking now it's a little different now you have to banks have to hold 10 percent of what you give them in the bank um i think it's actually less now we talked about it uh last week because of covid uh they the fed's like okay no you have to hold like a lot less uh than 10 percent, which just like makes banks uh, lend more and makes uh, puts again more liquidity into the market. It's so interesting because I would imagine back in the day when people found out that gold, uh, these blacksmiths were operating on what we now call fractional reserve banking, I can imagine there was probably an uprising, right? People were probably pissed off. Yeah, there were a lot of uprising and a lot of uh, hung blacksmiths back in the day. That happened a lot. Um, and it's I just so funny because now that it's built into the system, like now it's the, it's understood. It was we've all just kind of come to come to terms with the fact that these banks. That's the are thing. Involved. I don't think it is understood because if people really understood it, they would be like, "Okay, well, this is this is we have a name for this. This is called fraud, right?" So that's something that like in every other business. It's illegal to do, but in banking, like you can just keep on, keep on rolling. So it's a, it's a very, that's why I said at the beginning in the intro, not a lot of people are starting to, to get woke and understand this stuff, but still it's such an engraved and uh, like Joe Rogan says, like this system is just under momentum that people just like let, let it happen. Okay. It's fraud, whatever. We don't, we don't care what it means, but um. I think in the next episode, I would really love to dive into the history of uh, how central banks slowly took over uh, Europe and what wars were funded. And you're going to see a lot of wars that you've, you were taught like in, in elementary school or in high school. You're going to see who, were the, who profited the most from those wars and why did they actually start. Because we know some of the facts, but we don't know a lot of the truths behind those facts. And that's what I really want to dive into the next episode. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here to do. Like we're, we're here to show you that yes, history did happen. A lot of the history that you're taught is, you know, it's factual exactly what happened, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes, particularly when it pertains to money that isn't taught and isn't discussed and is a lot of times the real driver behind a lot of these issues. Right. I mean, even if like, just as an example, you know, a, lar a large driver of the conflict that led to World War II was 
uh, at the result of a, a currency collapse in Germany after World War One, um, and uh, just frustrations in uh, in Germany among the German public, and which ultimately led to the election of the Nazi Party and things like that. That was all driven by economics, right? Or at least a large portion of it was driven by economics. Yeah, there's always someone profiting off of war. And the real question is, or any event, and the real question is, like, because money does not get destroyed, it just gets moved around. So the real question is, in history, who has profited the most from these massive events that we're taught? We're, the one, we're, we're taught who won and who lost um, at, a, at a, um, the number of people, the number of land gained and the power uh, won in politics. But as everyone knows, money is true power. Um, and that's what we're not taught. And that's what I really want to cover uh, in the next episode when we, co- when we cover um, the history of central banks slowly taking over all the European countries. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's keep pushing forward with this conversation, though. So we obviously we, we get to paper money. We get this idea of fractional reserve banking. How did, how did, it, how did the system evolve from it being paper money being claims on gold to eventually governments getting involved and governments creating their own currencies. And some of them were back to gold. Some of them aren't as we're seeing today. Can you kind of bridge that gap? Like how did we go from everything was backed by gold to eventually fiat currency? Well, governments always did have control. That's the thing. Like they always had like, uh, even in, in ancient times, in Roman times, in, in uh, Julius Caesar time, even before that with Egyptians and, and um, like governments always, they were in control of money. Um, like I, I kind of spoke on before, they did devalue it in other ways because they used precious metals um, to like mix in uh, until it was like worthless. Uh, but it was in control for the longest time by governments. That was one of the, the things that they... They just like had a mandate over, but the central banks had their private entities um, who like started um, by gaining a lot of gold and gaining a lot of uh, um, power over centuries of manipulating the markets, of uh, winning a lot of uh, wars. And they said, where is the most money to be made? Um, and there's a lot of families that you'll recognize the names uh, that have been doing, how we're doing this for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, so, yeah, it was. So to answer your question uh, uh, in the summary, for, for, uh, forever it was done by governments. They were the ones who put their, their uh, name on the, on the coin and put the little stamp and said, this is the, the whatever government, this is Roman Empire, Julius Caesar's face on it. Or this is the Persian coin and uh, his face on it. Um, but this is what historically changed in Europe, is that there's these things called the central banks, which were no longer tied with the interests of the people that they served or the government that they served. And that government supposedly, supposedly uh, which I don't believe, but the supposedly serves the people. Um, that's where the corruption comes from. So yeah, where what, what was the... Like, do you know what some of the first central banks were uh, and, and who started them and, and how did they use their power as banks to start to influence geopolitical landscapes? Yeah. Uh, 
they were all they were all started in uh, Sweden and Italy. And to get into the names and to get even into how they actually generated their their wealth and power, um, there were a lot of uh, wars fought before even the central banks uh, got into existence. Wait, so hold on. You said Sweden? Are, are you sure? Because when I think of central banks, I think of Switzerland, which is it Switzerland? But Sweden had a lot of banks too? Well, this is like, I'm talking about the 13th century. And oh, that's so why- like Vikings and things like that. Like Viking, Vikings were not that far out of like their run. You got to understand these uh, people, because it started with people, the people build the system and then the system just like runs on its own if it's a well properly oiled system. Um, these people had to have a ton of, they were business owners. They were uh, quote unquote royalty. Um, and that is where a lot of these things started. Um, but really, I really want to get into that in episode two. 